on today's message from Harvest Church of God. Did you get that wording? Our sins, His cross, blotted our sins away and took our sins and nailed them to His cross. Be careful. Don't let your ears become garbage cans for the devil to put his garbage in. What we lost in Adam, we regained in the Lord Jesus Christ. What we lost in the garden, we regained at Golgotha. What we lost in paradise, we have regained in a tomb in a garden where he rose on the third day. God, we thank you for the opportunity one more time this side of eternity to stand in this sacred place and proclaim your word. We know that this is a solemn and a very august situation because life and death is in the words which we're about to speak. Judgment is within the words we're about to speak. Encouragement and inspiration is in the words we're about to speak. And I pray, O oh Lord, that everyone in this house today that has a need from God would find it in the truth of God's word because that's your plan, that's your intention. And I ask you to touch me with enablement, anointing, that I would be the vessel that you would have me to be to speak for you today in Christ's eternal name. Amen and amen. How many of you would know that God's grace is sufficient? That salvation is God's idea? That God loves fellowship with you? And he loves fellowship with everybody? In fact, it's not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, the Bible said. It's God's will that everybody be saved. It's not God's will that anybody be lost or that anybody go to hell. And God is doing everything in his power short of taking away your will to help you make that transition and make that transformation. Be not conformed, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. God's will is that every person who hears the gospel would positively respond to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Now that gospel is so powerful and so precious that God intends its purpose to be the link between himself and you. It's the invitation that God gives to needy people to come to him and to accept what he has to offer, and that is forgiveness, healing, love, and grace. And he says to everyone, he says, come to me, the fountain of the water, the water that brings life, the water that brings the spirit, the water that brings comfort for your soul and cooling for the, your, your thirst. He is the God who uh, quenches our thirst. And he says, oh, all that are athirst, come ye to the fountain and drink of the fountain of the water of life freely. Water of life. That's an interesting gathering of words, isn't it? The water of life. So God fixed it so that man could enjoy eternal life in the provision of the garden. But unfortunately, when man sinned, we ostracized ourselves from God. I didn't say God pushed us away. We, our own selves, pushed ourselves away. And through our federal head, that's a good, a good term right there. We'd probably need Joey to explain to us what federal means in that. It's representative is actually what it means. But our representative was Adam. And the Bible said, in Adam all die. In Adam there is a curse of death that was passed upon all of humanity. 
And someone may say, well, Pastor, I, don't have, I didn't have anything to do with that fall. That's long before I was ever thought of. Yes, but every one of us are part of this race, a fallen race, I might say. And that God's not willing that any should perish. So God had a covenant with a man whose name was Abraham. First, his name was Abram. And he was from that ancient city of the Sumerians. If you studied Western civilization, you studied about the patricians and the Hyksoks and the Sumerians, the very earliest of peoples. And Ur of the Chaldees, and what is now Iran and Iraq, is where Babylon and all of that uh, ancient history was carried out. And when Abraham was an idle-toting heathen in the Chaldees, Ur of the Chaldees, and God found him. I said, God found him. And God, through Abraham, wanted to shift from just having a family of people to include everybody in the whole earth, the whole earth. Not just a family, but to have a nation. And we know that when they went down to Egypt, they went down there as a family. But when they came out, they were four million strong. They were a nation. So we come to understand that when God started dealing with us as a family, then we become the family of mankind. And that Jesus is God's sacrificial offering to bridge the chasm between us and him because he wants to know us and he wants to fellowship with us. Now, God so graciously instituted through his relationship with uh, Abraham a, a people. And he said we would have to develop a system that we call the Levitical system. A Levitical system is a system where you bring a representative of your sins. You bring a lamb or a goat or a pigeon or a dove, and uh, unfortunately folks sold those things at the temple and made money out of them. And God said that Jesus took a whip and platted it and whipped them and ran them out of the uh, temple and overturned their tables, and he said, and take the doves away. Now, why did he say take the dove away? Why didn't he say kill the doves? Why didn't he say turn those doves loose? Because when God corrects us, he always does it in the kindest way without injury to ourselves. You see, you can gather up the money again. You can set the table back up on its four legs. You can put the money back on the table. You can repair everything else that Jesus did, but if he had said turn the doves loose, they could never have gathered them back. They would have been permanently injured and lost. So he said, take the doves away. Wow, that's an interesting part about God, isn't it? Is that he is merciful and he's compassionate and he loves us. I said he loves us and he cares about us. He loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Saved. What a beautiful word, saved. Rescued. That's a great word. Redeemed. That's a great word. Those words all are metaphorical words about what God did for every one of us in the offering of his Son, Jesus. In the previous system, the Levitical system, everyone would bring your offering, you would give it to a priest, and that priest would go back into a place called a holy of holies. And he would, behind the veil, because you couldn't go and you couldn't see, 
He would go back once a year, one time on the Day of Atonement, the Day of Purim, he would go back into that Holy of Holies and take your sacrifice for the year's sins and shed its blood, for without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. He would shed its blood and then you would be indulged is a better word. Not necessarily do away with the sin because the law can never take away sin. Behavioral righteousness can never take away sin. Every effort at righteousness that Jerry Irwin makes is as filthy rags. Every effort that Jerry Irwin makes at pleasing God through doing good is futile and exhaustive. Never happened. The Bible said, for keeping the law can never take away sin. It was never intended to be that way. Why do we have the law? Because the law brings our, to our cognizant self the fact that we are transgressors and that we are sin. The Bible said to break the law is sin. That's what sin is. So to, uh, for us to identify what is sin, for sin is transgression of the law of God. So in order to have recognition of what needs to be fixed or repented of, then the law is given to us, and that's a moral code there that we call the Decalogue. The Decalogue, it's the Ten Commandments, as you would say it. And that's our pattern for how we're supposed to live. God sent forth his Son as that sacrificial lamb, and we'll tie all this together in just a minute. But when you go to that holy place, you cannot go back there, a priest has to go for you. Now, what is the definition of a priest? One who goes to God for people. What is a prophet? One who goes to people for God. So you can't be a prophet until you're first a priest. Amen. So that priest then would take our offering, go back into the presence of God where I couldn't go. I said, went back into the presence of God where I could not go and offered my offering as a representative of my sin, and I was indulged. That means it was hid or covered. It, it, the word is atonement. Atonement. A-T-O-N-E-M-E-N-T. Atonement. We believe that the blood of Jesus is atonement for the sins of the world. Atonement. Oh, atonement appears only one time in the entire New Testament. One time. It's many times in the Old Testament but only once in the entire New Testament. It's Romans 5 and 11, where the Bible said, we have now received the atonement. Most Bible scholars, A.T. Robertson, Vincent Wiest, and all the rest of the scholars have determined it could better have been translated, we have now received the reconciliation. Because atonement means to cover up or to hide or to seclude from view. That's not what Jesus did for us. That's what the priest and the temple did for us. He covered it up. He indulged us. He took care of business for one year. But next year, you got to come back. And the year after that, you got to come back. Because the law never provided for you any kind of victory over transgression and sin. You couldn't stop doing it. Somebody say amen. amen. So atonement means to cover up, to hide, or to seclude from view. That's not what Jesus did for us. 
when John was baptizing in the River Jordan, he looked up on the bank and he saw Jesus coming. Do you remember what he said? Behold the Lamb of God which cometh to take away. Not slide under the rug, not sweep off to the side, but to take it away. To take away the sins of the world. Colossians 1 says that he took that ordinance, those writings that were against us, and he said he blotted them out. Blotted them out. All of the, all of the offenses that were in your life, the writing, the ordinances of, of the writing it up of what was wrong in your life. And when that came to Calvary's cross, the Bible said he took it out of the way and blotted it out. Can you believe that for you, Jesus blotted out all of the transgressions that you have ever done in your life? Not only did he blot them out, the Bible said taking them out of the way. Colossians 1.20, taking them out of the way, taking them out of the way, and listen to this, nailing our sins to his cross. Did you get that wording? Our sins, his cross. Blotted our sins away and took our sins and nailed them to his cross. How was my sin nailed to his cross? The Bible said he was made to be sin for us. Our sin in the person of the Lord's body was nailed upon that cross. He was made to be sin for us who knew no sin. Isn't that powerful? That Jesus did that for every one of us in this building, every citizen of this county, every person in this state. He died for everybody. Everybody was included in that one sacrificial offering at the cross, nailing our sins to his cross. And then in the Ephesian letter, chapter 2, the Bible said, for he is our peace. He is our peace. And he hath broken down the middle wall of partition that was between us, so making peace. Therefore, we now have peace through the blood of his cross. Peace is, glory to God, the reward that you receive for believing by faith that what Jesus did at Calvary can be appropriated to you. That you can be free, as the song says. And you can have peace with God. Romans 5 and 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice this. You've heard me preach this before. In all the furniture of the tabernacle, in all the furniture of the temple, there was not a chair. No chair. Table. There was a table there where they rightly divided the sacrifice. There was a basin there that was called the basin for him to wash in before he, the golden laver, as it were. You mean that before you can go into the presence of the Lord, you have to go through the golden laver and be cleansed? You mean you can't just walk in the presence of God with all those filthy rags of sin on your? Oh, boy. 
Do you mean you can't just walk in the presence of God nonchalant with no reverence and no respect for who, where you are and what you're doing? That priest had to go through a cleansing before he could go back to the Holy of Holies and take your offering. And first he had to wash himself in the golden laver. It was something that he did himself. No one else did it for him. He did it himself. He washed himself. And then the Bible said he was sprinkled with blood. And that was done for him. There was one cleansing that was done by him. There was another cleansing that was done for him. So that means that we're partners with God in this thing called transformation. That he provides the blood, he provides the grace, he provides the forgiveness, he provides all of the things that are necessary on his part, but then we've got to do our part in that whole process also. One of my favorite books in my library is His Part and Ours. His Part and Mine. And I want to tell you, He'll do His for sure. And if you'll do yours, you'll get the benefit and the blessing of that partnership. You really will. Well, when that priest went through that, that offering, hold on to that verse right there now, okay? Don't lose that. One done by him, one done for him. There was a robe that he wore when he would go back into the holy place, when he would go back into the presence. And it had bells on the bottom of it. And those bells would jingle as he would go about the task of offering sacrifices back there in the Holy of Holies. By hearing the bell ring, they could know that the priest was alive and that he was on the job and he was offering sacrifices. They had a rope tied around his leg, Heath, because if he were to happen to die back there, they couldn't go in there and get him out. So he had a rope tied around his ankle that if he died back there in the Holy of Holies, they could drag him back out because none of them could go back there but him alone. you got to be kidding me, Pastor. No, I'm not kidding you. That's actually the way it was. And that system... That Levitical system, that tabernacle system was in, in place for many, many years during the, what we call the intertestamental period, which is 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. We have no utterance, no prophetic utterance at all. God does not speak, God does not say a word for 400 years. But in 400 years, in a little town called Nazareth, there was a young maiden who went to the well, and an angel of the Lord named Gabriel said to her, you are highly favored among women. You are going to bear the son of the most high God. You are going to be the mother of God's greatest gift. You will have a son, the angel said, Matthew 1, 21. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He didn't say for their sins. He said from their sins. For the Old Testament, the Bible said, though your iniquities be as crimson, 
they shall be white like wool. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. What a difference an encounter with the Lord Jesus makes that changes everything. What a transformation when Jesus comes into our life. The worth of redemption lies in the heart of a gracious God whose desire for fellowship with us is the greatest desire in his heart. In the early pages of your Bible, you read where God comes down in the cool of the day to communicate and have fellowship with man. And when God showed up one day and man was not there, the first question that God ever said to man was what? Where art thou, Adam? Well, God knows everything. He knows where he was. God hadn't lost him. He wanted Adam to realize you're somewhere you don't need to be. Where are you? He said, I'm hid. He said, why are you hid? He said, because I'm afraid. He said, why are you afraid? He said, because I'm naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? And there you have the introduction of what we call shame. Shame. How did God handle our shame? He handled our shame by sending his son Jesus into the world who set his face like a flint and went to the cross, suffered and bled and died a sacrificial, vicarious death on the cross, was taken down from the cross and placed in a borrowed tomb and lay there for three days. And on the third day, on the third day, about the dawning of the day, when the women were coming to anoint his body, the Bible said an angel met him and said, Whom seek ye? They said, We're seeking our Lord. Somebody must have come and taken him away. Would you show us the place where they've taken him? The angel said, He's not here. He's not here. He is risen. And said, What you need to do is go tell somebody. You need to go tell somebody. You need to go tell it on the mountain. You need to go tell it. You need to go tell it that Jesus Christ is not dead on that cross anymore. He's not in a tomb anywhere. Unlike other pagan gods who sit on shelves and gods that have to be dusted off and polished, our God is risen. Our God is alive. He's not dead. He's alive. And because he lives, he says, ye shall live also. We don't serve a God who is a dead God. His way is life. We've passed into life, and we have new life in Christ. Praise God. All the shame and the remorse of being ostracized, all of our loss, and we suffered a great loss. But Irenaeus, one of the first of the church fathers, had an interesting theology. His theology is called the doctrine of recapitulation. Jerry loves that. He likes for me to preach about that. The doctrine of recapitulation. What does the doctrine of recapitulation say? It says this, what we lost in Adam, we regained in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
what we lost in the garden, we regained at Golgotha. What we lost in paradise, we have regained in a tomb in a garden where he rose on the third day. What we lost in that fellowship in the garden, we regained in the fact that he walks with me and he talks with me because he lives within our heart. He is a living, living, viable entity within every one of us who named the name of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10 I want to read these verses for you, and then we'll be through. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15 through 25. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness unto us. The Holy Spirit is a witness unto us. Now, what is Paul? Ah, uh, sorry. I just assumed Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. There are others who think that he didn't because text criticism would teach us that his wording is unlike Pauline theology. Others would tell us that uh, that, that language and the, the structure of sentences does not jive with the other letters that Paul wrote. I don't really know who wrote Hebrews, but I know he was a Hebrew, and I know that he wrote to Hebrews. He wrote to Jewish people, Jewish believers, and those Jewish believers were under great, great persecution in the first century. Strong, conquering Roman uh, governors and provincial uh, kings were, were seated on thrones and they, they killed Christians and, and persecuted them. And life was hard for these people to whom this letter was written. It was a tough, tough life for them to live for Jesus in the time that they were living. And this whole book has great doctrinal things all the way through it, through the 10th chapter. All the things about arrest for the people of God and that Jesus is as superior to every other high priest. All those great doctrinal statements. And it comes to this point and the writer then says, the Holy Spirit will back up what I'm telling you. He's a witness that what I'm telling you is true. Praise God. Have you ever had the Spirit's witness in your heart to let you know this is the truth? Whereof the Holy Spirit is a witness. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. So what God's finger wrote on the sands of Sinai and wrote on the granite at Sinai, those ten laws, thou shalt not. First Five of them had to do with relationship with God. The last five of them had relationship with other people. First one says, you'll worship the Lord thy God. Him only shalt thou serve. Don't have any other gods before me. Worship God and Him only. You remember when the people came, the men of the city came and threw the woman that was taken in adultery at the feet of Jesus? John 4, and they threw her down there, and she, they said to Jesus, they said, she was caught in the act. We don't have to bring any witnesses in here. We don't have to hold any court. She's guilty. We caught her in the very act of adultery. Now the law says, Moses says, stone her and kill her. What do you say? Kind of had Jesus in a spot, didn't they? Because they'd already heard him say that he was a friend of sinners. 
They'd already heard him say that he was meek and lowly and that he was compassionate. They'd already heard him say that he was a sinner's best friend. And now you're wanting me to kill this woman because she's guilty of sin? And the Bible said, and Jesus knelt down and took his finger and began writing on the ground. That wasn't the first time that finger had ever written. Jesus was saying, Greg, you don't have to recite the law to me. I was on the mount when Moses was on the mount. I was present when the finger of God wrote that. So you don't have to remind me of what I wrote. I put that down there. I know about that to begin with. And the Bible said he raised up. And the Bible said they were murmuring among themselves. And he knelt back down and began writing it again. If you remember, Moses came down from the mount, and when he saw the people worshiping a golden calf, he threw the tablets of stone down and broke them. And he had to go back up the mountain and get God to ride them again. Boy, y'all are missing some good preaching this morning. That's, that's good stuff. Good stuff. What was Jesus saying? He said, my claim that I am the Son of God, uh, it's a verifiable claim. The claim that I am come from my Father, that I'm come to seek and to save that which is lost. And when he raised up that time and looked around, he said, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, they went away. He said, thy sins be forgiven thee. Go, but transform. Don't be like you were. Don't live like you used to live. Don't act like you used to act. Don't talk like you used to talk. Don't behave like you used to behave. Yes, I'll forgive you. Yes, I'll give you new life in Christ. Yes, I'll give you all the things that go along with it, peace and love and grace. But quit sinning. Wow. Wow. That woman that was on the well at Samaria, the Bible said, Jesus said, where's your husband? She said, I don't have one. Isn't it strange how people act when they encounter Jesus? As some of you southern folks would say, she lied like a dog. <laughs> lied. And Jesus said, thou hast well said, thou hast no husband, because you've had five, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. And she said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. said, where do y'all people worship at? Most of the time when Jesus encounters us, we want to change the subject. Where do you go to church? That's what she asked Jesus. She said, where do you go to church? She said, I hear that, that you folks don't have anything to do with Samarians. You're a Jew. How be it that you as a Jew would ask me to give you a drink of water? Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus said, if you ever drink that water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. She said, sir, you don't have a bucket. You don't have a rope. How many times has God laid something on your heart and you said, but God, I don't have anything to work with. God, you, why do you want me to do something? I don't have a bucket. I don't have a rope. 
And Jesus said, you don't have to have a rope and you don't have to have a bucket to drink the water that I give you because it springs up inside you. It's a, it's a well of living water. And he said, I'll tell you this much, young lady. If you ever drink of the water that I give you, you will never thirst again. And when Jesus said that to her, when Jesus said that to her, she prayed. She said, sir, give me this water that I thirst no more. Give me this water. I want to accept your proposal. If you've got water to give me, I want to receive it. And brother, that's when you start getting somewhere with God. It's when you start cooperating with God. And the Bible said then that she left her water pot. Left her water pot. Yeah, whatever she was doing, something else was more important. Whatever she was doing, she left it. And the Bible said she went into the town and she found the men. Found the men of the city. Now, why do you think she looked for the men? Because women were mad at her. You can smile or say, wow, if you want to. She went to the men because the men were the ones that knew what she was and what she did. It's important that you go back to the people that knows what you do and how you talk and how you act and tell them, I'm not like that anymore. It's important that you find out the people that know you best that have sinned along with you and tell them that's over. And the Bible said she went and found the men of the city and said, Come and meet a man which told me all that I ever knew and I ever did. Come and meet a man. That's what God wants to happen in the church today. God wants some people that are so excited about what he's done that you're willing to go and find people and say, Hey, hey, come and meet a man that told me everything that I ever did and helped me and forgave me and made me a new creature in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Let me finish reading this and I'll let you go. I promise. I'm trying to get there. I promise. This is the covenant I make with you after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their heart and in their mind. And their sins, somebody speaks the shout, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Their sins and their iniquities Will I remember no more? Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. What are you saying, Pastor? There will never be another Calvary. There will never be another Calvary. There will never be another cross. There will never be another crucifixion. Why? Because Jesus has once offered himself for the sins of the whole world forever and there's no more necessary thing for another offering that's all settled thanks be to God having therefore brethren who are we talking to here people that have been with Jesus having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. The Bible said that while Jesus hung upon that cross, that there was a great earthquake. 
There are seven cross utterances. Three are before the darkness. One is during the darkness. And three are after the darkness. The most powerful of those passages is this. And the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. What did that mean? Well, I'm glad it was from top to bottom because that means God did it. If it had been rent from bottom to top, we would have done it. But because it was rent from top to bottom, that means Jesus did it. And the Bible said when that veil was rent and that veil was torn, that means now, now, everybody in this house can go back to that place yourself. You don't have to send anybody anymore. You can come boldly before the throne of grace. You can gain access into his presence. You can go to that holiest of holies for yourself. Not a representative, not somebody else, but you personally can go yourself. And who is that veil that was torn? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. I am the door, he says, and if any man shall enter in by me, he shall be saved. One more verse, and then I'm through. Having an high priest over the house of God. Who is your high priest? Who went to God for you? Jesus. Having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Listen to that last part. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, where have you heard those words in the beginning of this message that before that priest could get back there to that holy place where the presence is, he had to wash himself and he had to be sprinkled. So here, the writer of Hebrews says, to enter into that holy place you got to have your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and your body washed with pure water. What do you call that, Pastor? Sanctification. That's sanctification. Now, that's a good Methodist doctrine, but it goes good for Church of God, too. It goes good for Church of God, too. Sanctification. That means, you know what that literally means? It means a way of life, a holy Holy way of life, living a holy life. Did you watch Wednesday night and see the end of the message, anybody? Oh, so I can preach that sermon again. You hadn't heard it. I had a little formula that I passed out before church. You remember what it said? T plus HH equals SG. Remember what it was? Time Nobody just wakes up one morning and decides they're going to be a super-duper whooper-whopper disciple of Jesus. It takes time. It takes maturity. You start. It's a journey. It's not a once-and-for-all thing. It's learning to live a life for God. It really is. I said it really is. So time plus HH, I call that holy habits. What are holy habits? Read your Bible. Pray, meditate, sing spiritual songs, go to church, do habits that help you grow. And that equals SG, spiritual growth.
Wow. That's come from Bishop Ryrie, Charles Ryrie. He was a great pastor in times past. But I want to add one thing to that formula, can I? If he were living, he'd let me. Time, T, plus HH, holy habits, plus E. What's E for, Pastor? Encouragement equals spiritual growth. I think you need to surround yourself with the right kind of people to help you grow and mature spiritually. Don and I were talking yesterday. People who hang out with certain folks, there's a tremendous pressure there to do what they do and talk like they talk and act like they act. Yes, there is. And if you're not very, very careful, you'll let people pull you down. If you're not very careful, you'll let people talk you out of your salvation. If you're not very careful, you'll let people deter you and cause you to doubt the things that today you know for sure. You'll hear people that will speak evil of things that you believe in as right and holy. Be careful. Don't let your ears become garbage cans for the devil to put his garbage in. I said don't let your ears be garbage cans for the devil to put his negative pessimism in. I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I commit to him against that day. Stand with me, please. I, this last Tuesday, went over and did a memorial service for another family of five decades that I have known, loved, and worshipped with precious lady that has worked for God so many years. I remember the first day that I met her. She was singing with her husband and Tommy Joe McCoy, and they were singing at a church in Overton, Alabama, in Irondale. And Brother McCoy was, I was about 16 years old, and Brother McCoy was bad about going to sleep when he drove. And his wife was afraid he'd go to sleep and wreck. So she got me to ride with him that day to that singing so he would stay awake. And when we got there and they began singing, I've heard about heaven and I want to go there. I've heard about cloudless skies and no goodbyes. I've heard about all of that wonderful singing over there. I've heard about walking golden stairs and about having no more cares. I've heard about heaven, and I want to go there. That was what I preached her funeral with, Heath, is that song that I heard her sing for the first time. I want to tell you today that heaven is as real, and heaven is as positively within our grasp I almost sometimes feel myself looking up and kind of get up on my tiptoes. And I'm disappointed when I come back down. I wish one day I could just do that and just go right on. I wish this could be rapture day, don't you? I wish the day could be where we go to where Richard is. The song says, if you could see me now. If you could see Richard Laird right now. Where is he, Pastor? He's in the presence of the Lord. He's absent from the body, but he's present with the Lord. 
He's rejoicing because there's pleasure evermore at God's right hand. He's in a place where there's joy and bliss. He's waiting on the same thing we're waiting on. We're waiting on a sound of a trumpet. And the Bible said, the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. What we lost, eternity was lost, but eternity was regained in what Jesus did for all of us. Father, I thank you today for the opportunity to share these biblical truths. I thank you for ears that have heard your word today, and thank you for attentive hearts. And I ask that the power of the Holy Spirit would go with everyone in this building today and give us an enjoyable time with our friends and our family today. And Lord, I pray that every one of us would find someone to tell the great things that God has done for us. That's our prayer in departing. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.